0: Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Now I make Binge Boys. Binge Boys. Binge in the fuck out of shit. Binge Boys. Is on the air Hi, I'm Hal Rudnick Across from me, Lon Harris I don't
1: believe it is I think that
0: applies live Like We're on the air, you can hear us right now and We this are is live we, this we, we're, we, we are doing this show right now Whenever you press play That was our cue to
1: start <laughs> it up <laughs> There's a little Hal and Lon Inside your speaker And every time you hit play we're, We get the light to start talking That's how it works.
0: Do me a favor. uh, Just sprinkle some crumbs into your speaker. (laughs) We're um, very hungry. I've been in here a long time. Yeah, please. But just just a couple of crumbs because we're tiny now. That's all we need. They had to
1: shrink us down. Otherwise, we wouldn't fit in the back of your car or inside whatever device you're using to listen to us.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, Lon went straight for the the, someone uh, plugged the... uh, the USB port into the, plugged into the car and it's coming out of the car audio.
1: It's coming to the car speaker, there's a little and lawn back there. It's, that's, they don't tell you that, that that's how podcasts work. They, they make it sound like we just put this on a recording and then it gets broadcast out. But no, there are millions of shrunk down and lawns. I jumped right to millions, like, like our listenership. There are a few hundred. Tiny houses and lawns all across this world
0: uh, there are a couple dozen how and lawns yeah. and one
1: one in Malaysia weirdly all right yes. well, there's one of you out there yeah
0: and we are efforting we're working on making microscopic howls and lawns to be inserted into people's bodies with vaccines
1: yeah that's that's the eventual goal pick yes. up
0: on the 5g listen uh, we've met with Bill Gates. <laughs>
1: And okay. yeah, doc, Dr. Fauci's a friend. Yes, uh, yeah. So uh, that's weird. Have you gone on Disney Plus and you're just like scrolling, and it's just Dr. Fauci? The documentary is there. It's all, it's up now. So it's a weird experience.
0: Why is it weird? Just just because it's,
1: like, the banner at the top of Disney Plus is, like, you could watch Jungle Cruise or Black Widow or, like, Goofy and Mickey hunting ghosts or Dr. Anthony Fauci. It is, like, I'm not the kind of – like, I think he's doing a good job. I'm not anti-Dr. Fauci. But it does – if you were a
0: conspiratorially-minded person, it's just, like, why is – The woke liberal Disney agenda? Oh, fucking Fauci on your banner. Wave that Fauci flag. Yeah. Give me that jab. Take away my human rights. We're in Nazi Germany and other bullshit. That- you jumped really easily
1: into that, though, I have to say. That came, that voice came very naturally to you. <laughs> I'm a little disturbed.
0: Oh, boy. Round us up. Take away our rights. <laughs>
1: yeah, Mickey Mouse and Cinderella and Anthony Fauci. I see where this agenda is.
0: Oh, they're, they're taking our rights. And they're sending them straight to infinity and beyond because yeah, we are.
1: Listen, <laughs> uh I know, listen, folks, it's just cause it's National Geographic. The National Geographic banner goes under the umbrella of Disney Plus. So they have a lot of nature programming and science programming, and mm-hmm. they do have a lot of biographical documentaries on Disney yes. Plus. There was a Wolfgang Puck one that went up not long ago. Um, I'm not saying there's anything nefarious. I'm just saying if you were that kind of conspirator, I'm sure there are Facebook groups ranting about this right now. Why is Dr. Fauci on Disney Plus?
0: Yeah, all I want to do is uh, show my kids uh, the shaggy DA. Yeah, I'm trying to watch Darkwing Duck, man. And I got to see this guy, Commandant Fauci.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, here's what I'm saying, folks. If you take one thing away from today's podcast, it's do your own research.
0: (laughs) What does that even mean? That's what I'm
1: saying. (laughs) That's what they love. I know. I did my my own research. Like, really? When did you uh, go to medical school? Oh, you didn't. You're not. It's not from the the New England Journal of Medicine. You did your own research on YouTube. I understand.
0: I mean, LeBron did his research and he got the vaccine. Uh, Kyrie Irving, not so much. Yeah. Different research. I'm in the LeBron camp, so, but, you know.
1: <laughs> I just pictured LeBron in a lab, like, look, like, you remember Ivanka Trump had that, yes. had that photo of her in a lab, mm-hmm. like, looking at a test tube? I just pictured LeBron doing the same thing, but in, like, full NBA regalia, like, not dressed in a lab coat. <laughs> just so- like he— just played for the Lakers is and he now he's in the lab. Is he wearing his short and
0: tank top, or is he wearing yeah. his tear-off, uh, tear-away warm-up uh, track suit? Like, he
1: just came from the Laker game, didn't even have time to go to the locker room, mm-hmm. went right to the lab to check his COVID results.
0: Gotcha. Oh, so he's— See how
1: that ivermectin worked.
0: Oh, so he's going straight— On the straight- gang
1: from the shop, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> He, he he and Maverick Carter gave yes. each other ivermectin as like a control group.
0: Did Rich Paul, his agent, <laughs> give some to Adele? <laughs>
1: I don't understand this reference. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, Rich Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, I, yes, that, that is, is, right. is dating music superstar Adele.
1: Oh, I did not, I did not know about that.
0: Oh yeah, Um once again, Hal is uh, breaking. He's I'm the TMZ of the bing. Yeah, boys. you got your finger on the pulse of <laughs>
1: celeb gossip these days. I have no, I, I do not, I do not monitor who Adele is involved with. I love love. I love you love. Do. You love you have noted wife guy, a noted lover of celebrity pairings. I
0: love Benefer, both versions. I loved uh, I loved J Rod when they were together.
1: This is going to become a branded segment. It'll just be like Love Is in the Air with Hal Rudnick, and you'll update us on the most recent couplings, significant.
0: Brought to you by Jack Jacklinks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they go ahead. You'll you'll eat jerky with Sasquatch and then talk about celebrity comedy.
0: Yes. Lon, I think it might be time to do the news. The news with Lon.
1: Well, speaking of comedy, uh, as we always are, Dave mm. Chappelle has oh. once again drawn criticism from the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. advocacy groups, individuals, everybody in between, uh, for his most recent special, The Closer. This is the fourth out of his six Netflix specials. This is the fourth that had divisive material about the gay and trans community in it. In -hmm. this show, he made more jokes about trans people. He defended comments made by J.K. Rowling and DeBaby, and he identifies himself specifically as a TERF, an acronym that stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. Uh, Glad said that Chappelle's brand has become synonymous with ridiculing trans people and other marginalized communities, and Dear White People showrunner Jacqueline Moore Mm. has made a lot of headlines, announced she's no longer going to work with Netflix because they've decided to release this special.
0: Right. Yeah, I watched the special.
1: I watched about 20, 25 minutes, and then I, I declined to continue.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, did you go and click the thumbs down on the... Uh- I
1: didn't. No, look, and, and it's, it's not... I was a big Dave Chappelle fan before this run of Netflix. like before this six-run Netflix thing. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me a list of my favorite stand-up comedians, I, I might have included Dave Chappelle. So I've checked out a lot of these. I don't know if I checked out all six. I've checked out a bunch.
0: Who else is Who else is on that list? You? Oh, uh, let me guess for you. You got the Carrot Top, Buddy Hackett, sure. yeah, uh, Rita Rudner, Buddy Hackett. Did he even do stand-up? And uh, Elaine <laughs> Boozler. <laughs>
1: I did. You know what? When I was a kid, I did like Elaine Boozler. She was very big. I used to watch those, like, Evening at the Improv. Sure. Like, A&E had that, like, showcase of stand-ups, and she was very frequently on there and very funny, like Paula Poundstone, Rita Rudner, oh, yeah. too, Dennis Wolfberg, that whole generation of comedians. I, Richard Jenny. Oh, I was yeah. really into all those people. Sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I'm not personally offended. I'm not a member of the LGBTQ plus community, so I'm not, you know, it's not offensive to me as a person. And I'm at this point, I'm not even shocked by it anymore. It's just boring. He's been talking about this for so long. He keeps kind of making the same point. It's sort of the same joke over and over. It's the same joke a lot of people make. Like, I identify as an attack helicopter, like the pronoun stuff. I just – I'm just – it's not interesting. Even if I disagreed with his perspective but it was interesting, I would be like, okay, I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt. It's comedy. But it's not funny and it's not interesting. It just feels like he's got this weird hang-up about it. Yeah,
0: and he took it a step further by identifying as a turf, which is saying, you know what? I'm not just making jokes here. I disagree with your assertion that you are a woman and basically what much of your existence is built on here. And I feel like it's so, like we were talking about a little bit, yeah, it's extremely unnuanced because the idea of, you know, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but like gender as a construct, which many believe it is, and society has created this idea of gender, versus... People's sex parts and sex organs. Yet there are certain sex organs that allow, yes, uh, a person to give birth. Um, most often, what we were raised with, a woman, obviously, but if someone, there have been. People who have... Even
1: even that, I mean, it it all depends on how you're deciding to use language. Mm -hmm. I think Derek DelGaudio uh, is the guy who I saw tweet this, but Chappelle even makes the joke like, 100% of people in this audience were born between a woman's legs. And it's like, well, even that's not true because a lot of people are born by C-section and they're cut out of a woman's stomach. Mm -hmm. They're not born between her legs. So, again, that's not... That's not saying the the idea that they're not women or that they are. That doesn't speak to that. But it's just an example of, well, yeah, it's always about how you semantically want to slice and dice this stuff I up. Was,
0: I was born by be- materializing in a field after a lightning strike.
1: Wow. Is that
0: true? Is that how it happened? I'd rather not speak on it. Oh, um, that's— But how also— did you,
1: How did you know that your parents were the Rudnicks? It, were they just, they came upon you, the babe in the field?
0: It was very much a, a son of son of el <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> right, again, okay. I've said too Thor, much already. Well, son of Zeus, maybe. But way less powers and much, much hairier. Yeah. But I digress. I, and also, there was some objectionable shit where he would very proudly recounted his fist fight with uh, a lesbian woman.
1: Right, But and the joke there is once again— Ha ha, it looked like a man. Like, I got into a fight with this woman, but in fairness to me, it looked like a man. And like that, it couldn't be a hackier joke. It's just not a funny, I'm not saying you couldn't possibly make a joke about that. I'm saying this joke sucks.
0: And it's always been a two-way street for me, whereas, okay, you know, there's objectionable shit, but I still find him funny. Funny, and I think he's a master of the craft. This one, there was a little too much, and the objectional, objectionable shit, and the thoughtlessness that goes into, you know, make it's okay to say these things, to call himself a turf, to stake his claim. And life is dangerous for trans people. They, it takes so much courage to live your life and your truth that way. And like, I feel like he is doing them a major disservice. Also, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to be like, hey. Hey, here's another thing but I didn't like some of his Jew stuff that he was doing either because I think he was conflating really conflating the idea of Jews and Israel, and Israel. he's and got one big long joke it's also not a good joke it's not a good joke and he brought it back again later and you know Listen, we live in a society where he's a tastemaker. People listen to him. Uh, listen, this is secondary to the trans shit he was doing in the in, in the special. But just overall, I don't know. I, I feel like he wasn't uh, operating with a deft hand here. And it no, was. It's, it makes yeah. me
1: sad for Kim. Like, it makes me sad that not just for, like, I feel like he's, I'm sure he's a happy person. But mm-hmm. it's just like. Like, he has this incredible, ridiculous platform that, like, so few people on Earth have, like, mm-hmm. to release six Netflix specials, to be as prominent a person, as, as notable, someone who the whole world is listening to when you've got things to say, and to take that platform and to repeatedly use it because you're, you're so caught up in this feud that you're imagining that you have. Like, the the pattern is... Chappelle comes out with a special. He says some offensive shit about the LGBTQ community. People respond for a few weeks like we are. Mm-hmm. They do their podcast. They're like, did you see that Chappelle special? It was kind yeah. of offensive. And then everybody moves on. Right. Nothing happens to him. He doesn't mm-hmm. get canceled or whatever. He continues living his life. And then a year later, he comes out with the next special. And the next special is just recounting the negative reaction to the last special. And on some level, it's like, fucking get over it, dude. Like, talk about something else. The rest of us are desperately ready for him to move on. Like, if this special was nothing to do with any of this, he just didn't bring it up, and it was new material about one of the hundred billion things that are happening in the world right now. Take your pick. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would want to rehash this with him again. I think even the even the LGBTQ rights groups would be ready to move on. Like, mm-hmm. I think that it's just him. He's like projecting onto everybody else and this is his weird hangup. And it's just like, What a sad groove to get caught in that you spend this whole long period of your life and this is the work you're putting out into the world is just this like you can't get over this like angry Twitter fight you had six years ago or Mm -hmm. something
0: and i'm not i'm not sitting here trying to be offended and like you know i'm i'm sure i don't if we have a few people who are part of the fuck your feelings crowd you know listening to this but if it was fu- here's the thing funny often wins he's done stuff that i'm like wow that's fucking offensive but i laughed because he's a tactician he nailed it he threaded the needle this the, uh this special not so much not so much and just Haphazardly delivered written stuff that's just at the end of the day a little bit hateful. So
1: yeah, it's just not it's just not good. And it's just like he used to be so good. It didn't even matter what he was talking about. You know, like the topic was incidental. The material was good. The delivery was good. He was good. And now it's just like. Yeah, it has that, like, okay, boomer. Like, it has that feeling of just, like, an angry
0: old guy ranting. Why you want to die on this hill? Yeah,
1: and it's just, like, I don't think anybody is so caught up in this the way you are. Like, his, his, whole, his whole attitude and approach is, like, everybody gets upset with me, and I'm just telling it like it is. And it's, like, I don't really think anybody's that upset with you. We're just bored of this. Like, this is just not interesting to anyone, but... You know, bigots. And that's like, if you look on the internet, that's who's celebrating it is like people who don't like
0: trans people. Well, yes, but also I feel like there are just like um, devotees who don't recognize that there's, you know, something kind of just insidious in, in putting that out there.
1: Every celebrity who's got hardcore fans, a chunk of those hardcore fans are going to stick by them no matter what they do. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, that's part of fandom. And like, you expect that. But like, I don't, I, I feel like on some level, I have to feel like, even the Chappelle fans would probably, whether they admit it or not, would probably enjoy it if he freshened things up. He's doing some of the same jokes as in the last specials. Like, it's very repetitive at this point. He's just stuck in this mode and can't seem to get himself out.
0: And it's a, li- a little bit disappointing as well because, man, the special, that it, it was... Uh, I don't think it was part of his Netflix, the YouTube uh, thing, the, the YouTube George thing, Floyd eight forty six. I thought right. eight forty six was poignant, and it, it was you know obviously there, I mean it's not a very funny subject at all, and there weren't a ton of laughs in there, but it was riveting, and I really appreciated his discourse on the murder of George Floyd, and to have something so thoughtful and then followed up with this. I don't know, it's a little disappointing because I think Yeah, he-
1: well, it seems like not having to be funny, like doing that to just have a monologue and not feeling the pressure to be funny actually kind of got him out of this. But like, he, this is just what he finds funny right now. And it's mm-hmm. just like really unfortunate because I don't really think it's very funny at all. I just, it's boring. I just don't, I get it. I, I understand. Trans people make him uncomfortable. He doesn't like it. He feels like it's not accurate to the way the world is. I I think at this point we all get it. Like I don't agree, but I get it. I understand that's your opinion. Let's talk about something else. There's a million things going on in the world today.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, there are still laughs in there for sure. But uh, it bums me out that he like de- definitively decided to get on the wrong side of history with some shit
1: You can tell right away that's where it's going Like yeah. He wastes no time in yep. being like, hey, let's talk about that thing that I talk about yeah. exclusively now And it's like, okay, great, here we go again uh, let's move on. Let's us move on. Yes. Disney Plus is developing a WandaVision spinoff starring Katherine Hans,
0: witch. Oh, to go with, uh, is Fauci going to be in it? Is Fauci going to be in that WandaVision? It's Dr. Fauci
1: and, and Wanda <laughs> meet. They're going to use Wanda's powers to just vaccinate everybody <laughs> in an instant. Is this an abuse? Is this an overstep? I don't know.
0: That's the future that the libs want.
1: <laughs> Kyrie Irving is going to co-star as the one guy who refuses. Oh, Kyrie Irving is yeah.
0: going to be the villain. <laughs> yeah. uh
1: Oh, it's going to be – it's about Agatha Harkness. You remember yes. Catherine Hahn, the yes. witch character. Now, we last left her, Wanda had like – was deleting her memory and she was going to be forced to live in that town forever.
0: Yeah, Wanda was uh, given right. her the men in black treatment.
1: Presumably a- she's going to magic her way out of that and have more adventures. We don't know what the plot is, but it's a dark comedy of some kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Jack Schaefer, who was the creative force behind WandaVision, she will also write and produce this new series. Katherine Hahn's going to be super busy. She's also playing Joan Rivers in a Showtime series. Uh, Oh, what
0: what do you think about uh, the idea of Jew face? Sarah Silverman was was Sarah Silverman is
1: upset that Katherine Hahn is going to play, like, why doesn't a Jew get that? I feel like, personally, I I think of uh, the Jews, we've kind of had a pretty sweetheart deal with, like, uh, with, I'll, I'll tell you who it's with, with goys who have kind of a, a schnoz and uh-huh. Italians. I oh, think yeah. Christian people with with, with big noses mm-hmm. or, or, or distinct, let's say not big, distinct noses. Mm-hmm. And Italians and Jews all have kind of an agreement that we can play each other on screen. Okay, okay. And I think that that deal has worked, especially for Italians and Jews, like, how many of our greatest performances, like if Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, like we got to let like those guys, some of their greatest work is as Jews. Al Pacino, the rabbi. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no Pacino
0: in The Insider is playing a Jew and he's terrific. Like one recent one, I was like, I brought this up uh, on the the, the podcast when we were talking about worth. Uh, I did not buy Michael Keaton as a Jew for a fucking New York minute. His Boston accent was good, but...
1: It's a little touch and go. Yeah, I agree. They have one scene where they very specifically put it in so that you will know that this character is a Jew. And it does feel like a little like they wouldn't have to do that if they... Like, again, if they cast Stanley Tucci, you'd accept him immediately as a Jew because of the Italian to Jew agreement. We have an agreement.
0: There was a scene where Michael Keaton was in front of all these 9-11 survivors, uh, family, sur, uh, uh. Right, one of the... Ma- this is the scene. And, and I was talking about. It. And, yeah, and, and like someone yells out, you dirty Jew lawyer or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Michael Keaton's like, doesn't bother me. I'm not even a Jew.
1: Like why did he say that in the
0: middle of the movie? Why do he say it?
1: He's playing a Jew. That guy, that's a real guy and that's a Jew. <laughs> the, the, that. the guy who wrote Kenneth Feinberg, I believe is his name. Now that's a good Jewish like name. It's a good good Jewish name for <laughs> a good Jewish boy. Uh, anyway, so Sarah Silverman may want to change this agreement and like all Jews can only play Jews and Italians mm-hmm. have to go back to just playing Italians. But I I disagree. I I don't I don't think I think it's because people get upset and, and rightfully so mm-hmm. about things like blackface or yellowface or brownface yes. because there's a long and ugly history. Sure is of white people putting on makeup portraying people of other races. John Wayne played Genghis Khan. And and doing it in a gross, stereotypical way that reinforces negative ideas about those people. And there is not, like, I'm sure there are examples of of, of Jew face, of like Christians playing Jews in an offensive way. You could, I'm sure, find a lot of examples of it. But I don't think culturally it has the same resonance. Like, I don't feel like I grew up as a Jew, seeing negative depictions of Jews where it was just white Christian people playing Jews.
0: I once went to St. Andrew's Cathedral's performance of Fiddler on the Roof, and I don't know, I'm just...
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, like, Catherine O'Hara in Home for Purim does not deeply offend me. That's just like, all right, you know, she's doing comedy. In your Consideration, yes, you know, they yes, do the yes, movie yes. Is, is Home uh, for Purim.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, yeah, for, I mean, in... In, in a broad comedy, of, of course.
1: But I'm just saying, in, in, in general, I just it doesn't have the it doesn't have the ugliness in its history that yes. brownface does, and that's why I think it's important that we avoid that. Whereas, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned about.
0: I agree with you, in as much as there's a lot more wiggle room here, and you know,
1: and I mean, Jews do occasionally play non-Jews as well. Like we 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 kind of. Sure, back and forth on this point
0: because you have the uh the Jews playing Italians and whatever but uh is I wonder... Kevin
1: Pollock, do you think Kevin Pollak in Usual Suspects is Todd Hockney a Jew? Hmm. I feel like that's a goy character. We could get we, we, we talk to him about a, this. Maybe that's get a good the real question. answer that's a good question. I don't know if he's playing a Jew. I feel like that's just a Jewish guy playing a playing a Christian guy.
0: Do you think Sarah Silverman feels like she should have been cast as
1: Joan Rivers? I mean, it's hard not to
0: read the subtext <laughs> I love as. Sarah Silverman. I've loved her since the Larry Sanders show I, in the 90s. I mean, this is
1: not a slight to Sarah Silverman. I mean, you would think a person who has worn blackface would be like, I'm going to leave myself she, out I of all of the yeah, blank face conversations. Like, I don't need to be part of this at all. As a person with a very <laughs> famous example of me doing deeply offensive blackface. Oh.
0: Interesting stuff.
1: Uh. <laughs> anyway, I was that, that was always to mention Catherine yeah. Hahn everywhere. Also in the Knives Out sequel coming to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Also in the Shrink Next Door, that new Apple TV Plus. Also doing Jewface in uh, the Joan Rivers show.
0: It sounds like we're on the precipice of uh, a Hanessance.
1: Oh, we're we're deep in the Renaissance All right, what about is Gene Smart in Hacks? Is that Jewface? is she playing a Jewish? I don't know. That's what I'm, that's my question to you. I don't I mean, know if that character is... She's obviously modeled on Joan Rivers, that character, but I don't think they explicitly made
0: her Jewish. No, no. I don't think she says no. uh, okay. anything like, uh, hey, uh, give me the day off. It's the High Holy Days, or something yeah, no, like that. Yeah, no, she doesn't.
1: I don't believe they've explicitly... <laughs> she's just Joan Rivers inspired. I don't yeah. Know, okay. Uh, next story, Netflix Greenlit another new series from Mike Flanagan and his team, of course. He's behind Midnight Mass, yes. the, the, the Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Blind Manor, so they're going to do Edgar Allan Poe's Fall of the House of Usher as their next literary adaptation, much like Bly Manor, where it took a bunch of different Henry James stories and kind of mashed them up. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a bunch of different gothic horror stories by Edgar Allan Poe and kind of mash them all up together and do
0: something semi-original. Listen, Lon, yes. I'm, I'm famously not well-read, so let me famously. ask you this question. This is true. Let me ask yes. you this question. Um is the fall of the House of Usher about some kind of spooky situation that takes place in the club with my homies?
1: Oh, is this because the word usher?
0: Yes, you're you're thinking. Is it about R and B? You're mega-star? thinking about R and B
1: superstar usher. usher. The story, how, was first published in 1839 in Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. So I'm guessing. Probably not about R and B Superstar Usher unless he's related to Roderick Usher, the, the character in the
0: story. Okay. Follow up question. Is Burton's gentleman's magazine does it does it have any uh is there a centerfold? Is there you got any uh Sweet honeys. Are any sweet honeys up in Burton's gentleman's magazine?
1: It's funny that in twenty twenty one, if I say to you, Oh, it's a gentleman's blank, that means uh naked ladies. <laughs> but that's definitely that's, yeah. that's just gentlemen of change. Yeah, that's just us being like super fucked up and like everything being bizarre in 2021. Like that's not what that word means at all. It doesn't mean man who insists on all the women around him being naked. I don't know. That's just like gentlemen's club, I guess is where that yeah. started. But now that's that's all that we use gentlemen for. But no, this was back in the era when just like, you know, a sophisticated man was a gentleman. And Ooh, so this yes. was like essays and poems and fiction. And it was a gentleman's magazine because it was sporting themed. So, like, this is where you would read your articles about sailing or hunting or cricket. cricket. Yes. Yeah. That's what made it for for gentlemen. And also you weren't allowed to um, read. You were allowed to read, so ah, yes. probably for oh, the gentlemen. Yes,
0: Oh <laughs> women don't go to school. Yeah, no, the women, women, go to finishing school. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, everything's coming up Flanagan. Every well, this is this is the
1: second before we get House of Usher. There's mm. another Mike Flanagan show, uh, Midnight Club. That's based on books by author Christopher Pike. So that's mm. that's happening next. We'll get Midnight Club next year, and then probably after that. We will get Fall of the
0: House of Usher, which is just now coming together. Is Christopher Pike, would you describe that as YA horror?
1: Yeah, he's like the upper end. Like, that's right before you're ready to graduate. You could probably read a Christopher Pike at around the same time you're getting into like a Dean Koontz. Oh, like, okay. it's a, it feels like around the same level. It's like you've graduated from your goosebumps. And you're now into the Christopher Pike era.
0: Am I ready for Stephen King?
1: I mean, it depends on the book, maybe, but sure. Like, you're right about at that point where you could probably pick up It pretty soon and and die. Maybe not It. That one's weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. You could probably pick up Carrie pretty soon and be be good.
0: Right. I'm I'm looking forward to that stage in my life. Not
1: It. It's too
0: long and there's
1: like a bunch of kids having sex in the middle of it. Skip that one. Gotcha. That's an odd one. Uh, HBO released a first trailer for the Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon. I sent this along to you, How to watch. Uh, We don't have a release date set for it yet. Sometime in 2022, Mm -hmm. sometime next year. Now, this is based on the book Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, which is not part of the main Song of Ice and Fire book series. It's a separate book that's like the history of the Targaryen dynasty, uh, they're the ones with the dragons. They're the, the, the blonde folks. Uh-huh. This show is about a civil war within House Targaryen that happened 200 years before the events of the main show, Game of Thrones. So we're going way, way back, way back into the history of Westeros and Essos in this one.
0: Gotcha. What did you think of the uh, of the trailer? It looked like they're giving the people what they want. It looks like it's got that uh, that uh, G.O.T. secret sauce in there. And uh, there was a, a little girl who was like, oh, that looks like a young Daenerys Targaryen. It's not, obviously. But like.
1: I mean, I, I think yeah. maybe if there's some magic person that shows up where they live a long time, like the Night King or whatever. But no no humans would live long enough to be in both shows. What, what about a Hodor? No, there's, there's nobody. I mean, they're characters we've heard about. Because the thing that this show is about, this Targaryen Civil War, was sometimes called the Dance of the Dragons. Uh. It's a famous historical event in Game of Thrones. Like kids read books about it and people talk about these events. This is a well-known history, but we're now going to see it all play out in real time. I don't know. To me, if I was going to make a new Game of Thrones show in 2022 with people's very complicated feelings about the original show still so fresh in everyone's mind, I think I would probably do more to, like, set this apart in some way. Like, it's going to scratch that Game of Thrones itch, but we're doing something different. This isn't just more Game of Thrones. And this trailer very much to me feels like more Game of Thrones, just like. Here's another show that's exactly like that other show that
0: you liked. I think that's the right idea. I think that's do what you? they- yes, people Do you? Yes, don't. Do people still
1: like Game of Thrones? I kind of feel like you got to sell it to people again and they don't think that they have to.
0: Here's the thing. Are are you going to take the six and a half great seasons, or are you going to take the one and a half mediocre to bad seasons? I'm not
1: personally disagreeing with you. Like On the whole, I would still say Game of Thrones was still a really good show that I enjoyed. I'm just saying we're in this pop culture moment where I believe if you were to ask a random person, even someone who once self-identified as a Game of Thrones fan, hey, what do you think of Game of Thrones? I don't think the reaction you're gonna get is like, loved it, great show, perfect, can't wait for more. I think the reaction you're gonna get is like, I can't believe I wasted my time on that bullshit. And so, no, I don't I think they're think that, gonna be
0: that harsh.
1: I think people are pretty down. Like, it, it, it is, I don't know. I don't have a survey. Like, I'm not looking at data. This is all anecdotal. I could be wrong. Maybe most people still remember it fondly, and it's just a vocal part of the internet. But I don't know, I feel like they burned a lot of people in that last season, and if I was going to try to come back and...
0: Yeah, that dragon lady burned a lot of people, huh? Eh,
1: I, I feel like I would have a little bit of a more like, I gotta like make this a reboot so that In some way there's I'm getting new people on board and I'm sorta convincing some of the others like this isn't just more of what you already saw and didn't
0: love at the end. I mean it's gotta be Westeros though. So like what is it gonna be? Just like Well No,
1: I'm not saying like flying cars. I'm saying like I would have tried to figure out like obviously I don't think that this show is going to be exactly like Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. I bet there is a new spin on it. And I don't think that the marketing. So I feel like you're right. They're they're trying not to emphasize that. They wanted this to be like, look, new Game of Thrones. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm kind of questioning the wisdom of that. I think that there's probably part of HBO that is like a little bit in denial. And there's just like people love Game of Thrones and they're excited to have it back. And there was no... Break in that continuity. And it's like, people do not like that finale. Like, that has stuck in people's minds. Oh, that they yeah. They did not like that last season. And you've got ground to make up now.
0: It's true. It's true. I mean, listen, all this stuff was in the works before the finale aired and everything. And th- it did leave a sour taste in people's mouths. But you got to dance with the uh, with the one that brung ya, and the, the, you. And you got to preach to the choir. You got to get them back. Here's more of what you loved. And, and I think that's what, as you said, that's what was reminiscent of that trailer to me. I'm like, oh, it looks like more Thrones, and that's not a bad thing. Good Thrones is very well done. The last season was uh, just a, a rush to the finish and not deftly handled. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. if Is fandom we'll known for
1: being forgiving? I don't know. I don't know if they are. Apple renewed the Epic Sci-Fi series foundation for a second season. Yes. Uh co-creator David S. Goyer, he's got multi-season arcs. Like he's thinking eight seasons yeah, and, and on and on. Mm-hmm. So this is just the next step for that guy. Uh and he promised he made a statement where he promised, like, oh, there's so much stuff we're gonna bring in for fans in season two. And the three that he shouted out are Hober Mallow, General Bell Rios, and the Outer Suns. So we're finally. Finally those Outer Sons gonna make their make their way to Apple TV yeah. Plus. We're still halfway through season 1 on Apple TV Plus, so we're talking down the
0: road away. Oh, you know what they say? Uh Outer suns out, buns out. That's me. O-
1: outer Outer buns out.
0: Outer buns <laughs> out. From the yes, Outer indeed. suns.
1: Back. Uh yeah, I don't know.
0: I'm not fully caught up with Foundation. I've um yeah, so far it's a slow burn.
1: I mean that that statement I think speaks to their their big challenge here, which is like there's so much world and ground to cover. And I just like, you gotta you gotta find a way to like also suck me in. Like there are there have been three episodes so far, and I don't really feel like any of them have majorly interacted with the other one. Or no, maybe there's four. I've seen three or four, but they're all like mm-hmm. distant pockets of the galaxy. Some things are happening like a hundred years after other things Mm -hmm. and it's like i get that in a book maybe you could tie this all together better but it it does kind of feel like it barely feels like a show sometimes it feels like a like a god like a field guide to this weird sci-fi universe and when the creator is like gotta stay tuned for season two hober mallow's coming i'm like i don't know what the fuck that is man like do you help me out
0: here (laughs) Uh, well, maybe uh, you need to be a little bit more of an Asimov head.
1: I guess so. I, I'm trying my best, man. It looks great. I want to stick with it. it I, I do. I like the genre. It's really cool looking. A lot of great actors. Right. I'm I'm trying my best here. I just feel like I'm being kept at, at a little bit of an arm's length, and
0: uh, just I mean, give what me. What do you want? He's giving you Hober Mallow
1: coming, coming soon. Stay tuned for Mallow. Next news story Steve Carell is going to star in a 30 minute thriller series for FX. This comes from the Americans vets, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. Uh, Carell will play a psychotherapist who's been kidnapped. He's being held captive by a serial killer who wants to get control over his own urges. So we don't know who's going to play the killer, but it's like, I want to stop being a Manilka killer. I'm going to kidnap this therapist who can, like, cure me.
0: Make me better. Make me better. I'm a murderer.
1: Is this your audition? I think you'd be great. I think you're nailing this wrong. I'm
0: a murder man, Mr. Doctor. Make me
1: better, Mr. Doctor. It's like it's like an old Southern lady who's like hoping she'll irritate the therapist enough to where he'll just cure her.
0: Please make me better, Mr. Doctor, and I'll make you a nice bowl of grits. Just like my grandpappy taught me how to make.
1: Now she feels more southern. Okay, thank you. Oh,
0: please, doctor. I don't want to murder no more. I got the urge. (laughs) (laughs) I got the deadly urge.
1: Oh, no. Jessica Tandy would have been brilliant in this role too. Oh, too left us too soon. Yes, Jessica the Tandy. star
0: of Driving Miss Daisy.
1: Batteries not included. Star Jessica Tandy.
0: Sure. Yeah, so I guess I guess if you're a serial killer, you can't go to a regular doctor because if you have some sort of a criminal admission to a doctor, then then the doctor's going to have to tell the cops or something. I
1: think they have doctor-patient confidentiality unless the doctor thinks you're going to kill again. Like if you if you go and you say Ten years ago, I did a murder, and I feel really bad and guilty about it, and I need you to help me. I don't think they're allowed to tell the cops. I think that that that's – because they don't have a reason to believe you're going to murder again. You think so, or you know so? I mean, I've never said that to a doctor to test you've this theory got, out, you've but I got think to that test falls,
0: that theory out. You've got. I to, think
1: you could then go to the court and say they can't say that. That's doctor-patient confidentiality. But if you go to the doctor and you say I killed somebody ten years ago and I really got off on it, and I've I, got the murder urge, and I think I'm going to do it again, then they can go tell the police this guy just came to see me and said he's going to go murder.
0: Lon, we we got to test this out. You? No, we don't. I don't have to. You? Okay, so we'll both.
1: I have no desire to do murder, so I'm not going to go tell a doctor that I do want to.
0: I know. You're going to have to fib. You're going to have to fib. No, that's a terrible idea. You're going to have to do a murder fib.
1: Let's put this out to the listeners. If you want to help us test this theory, Go to a doctor and tell them that you did a murder, but you feel bad about it, and you don't want to do any more murder. And then see if they turn you in.
0: Ten years ago.
1: See if they turn you in, and then uh, contact us here at Binge Boys and let us know no. 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 We
0: need two. We need two test cases here. We need someone to say they did a murder ten years ago, and they feel bad about it, and they have no urge to purge again. And then someone else saying, Doc, I'm going to kill.
1: Well, no. We don't want to do that. that. that we're guaranteeing that that person gets arrested. <laughs> we don't want to do that. That's not a test. That's just go confess to homicidal impulses, which you shouldn't do because they will lock you up. Like that's – you'll get a 5150 or whatever they call that thing. Lon,
0: I just want to talk this out right now. I'm, I don't want to – encourage people to Are you to thinking do about
1: doing murder?
0: No, 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 no. Um, but I'm wondering if someone did a major crime, I don't know, murder, or like just a huge explosion or something, and then they got caught and they said, binge boys made me do it. Yeah. That would be good publicity. That would be great for us, yeah. That's it. I don't
1: have any more. Of that. Yes, I hope so. Please do a murder and then say we put you up to it. Because that'll never hold up in court. But Oh. But we'd we'd get the we'd get the headlines. But make it a, make it a. I don't want you to go do a murder that you weren't otherwise
0: going to do. If you're already
1: an, thinking of murdering, yeah. Then then just just credit us is what I would say.
0: Hopefully, it's like a Dexter kind of murder where you kill like a baddie. Kill a baby. I mean, I don't.
1: I'm not hung up on that. If you're, this was already a murder you were gonna do. My
0: conscience is clear. Don't do a
1: murder for us.
0: That's dedication. I don't
1: want you to do that. If you already had murder on your list, go, you know, and you're gonna go murder. If you get caught, just be like binge boys. Put me up to it, and then they'll listen to this episode and they'll be like, they didn't really. He was very explicit that said, don't do a murder for me. So there you go. We we get off scot free, but. Think of the headlines, folks. In the
0: hierarchy of fandom, Lon, there's okay, subscribing to Binge Boys so you get every episode. Great. Then there's subscribing and going to iTunes and leaving a five star review. Right. Next, that's level, the next please, level. Please, uh, if you're listening, feel free to do that. And then there's the third level of our Patreon. <laughs> Yeah. Which is subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and killing for binge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my
1: my favorite exploitation film, Hal Told Me to Kill. It's a great one. I recommend it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm having regrets. Don't kill
1: Don't Kill. Listen, kill. hey, if you take uh, one fine. lesson from today's show. Do your own research, but if you take two lessons from today's yes. show, it's do your own research and don't murder on a podcaster's Fine, behalf. Don't. They're not worth it. There's Ugh. no podcaster who's I don't know what Joe Rogan's telling you to do. I listen, I'm not Scott Ackerman's keeper. I can't control what messages <laughs> he's sending out on comedy bang bang. Right. I'm assuming it's shoot somebody twice because bang, bang. Of the, the name of the show, but Please don't murder anyone on behalf of your favorite podcaster. That's, I I think that's that's today's message. Cosign. Final news story. Hulu's got a new Hellraiser movie coming out. This is a reboot. We're going to kick off a new Hellraiser-verse. The
0: Pinhead is back.
1: Yeah, Pinhead's back. Clive Barker is among the executive producers, the original creator of the Hellraiser-verse. The star, the new Pinhead, is going to be Jamie Clayton. She's a lady. She's one of the stars of L Word, Generation Q. Mm -hmm. She will be taking over the role of Pinhead, the Pope of Hell in the new Hellraiser franchise.
0: Thanks for destroying my childhood by bringing in a lady pinhead, says someone out there on the internet.
1: (laughs) I mean, I feel like most horror fans kind of understand, like, Hellraiser was already so, like, fetishized. There's really, it can't be more woke. It's about as woke as you can get already.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the... dude was into holistic care he was an acupuncture enthusiast
1: yeah. it's like basically like hell's goop down there it's right? just it's just yeah it's a it's a it's a hellraiser is in a lot of ways a wellness and lifestyle brand depending on how you think of it
0: mm-hmm. yoni eggs yeah and, uh, exactly just uh, v- vagina candles just the
1: lament configuration instead of uh instead of vagina candles
0: Hellraiser, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it is, uh, it's got kind of an undercurrent of some. BDSM.
1: You know the the idea is the cenobites that Pinhead is their leader. They are from hell, and their their whole thing is it's like it's about pleasure and pain and the balance between that. They take great pleasure in pain and causing pain, and there's even this idea that they're victims. Like they're always referring to it as like, "Ooh, you'll suffer so exquisitely and be delicious suffering." And so I think whenever you're gay and, and also they just kind of look like there's a lot of like. Leather and mm-hmm. latex and it, it, it's all got a little bit of a BDSM sort of aesthetic. Right. And I think that, yes, it definitely is already set in that in that world. And that's a lot of Clive Barker's sort of whole milieu, you know, is like is like uh, horror, but the, you know, with with this sexual
0: undercurrent with a side order of kink.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Like at Cronenberg, it's like body horror, it's like a yes, variation yes. of that, but like a sexual variation of that. Not that Cronenberg stuff is not also very sexualized sometimes. Oh, sure. Existence with their weird little game pods that they're like fingering in the in the game butthole or whatever.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer, that's
1: correct. Who else? Can you name the the male oh, the male my lead? Goodness, very famous. Been-
0: Oh, Very famous
1: man. Good. I mean, Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe also in it, but the male lead is is remains a famous actor.
0: Christian Slater? Uh, it's Jude Law. Jude Law. Jude Law. Jude, Jude Law. Law Existence. Uh, yeah, it's been a minute since I saw it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't think I've seen the entirety of Hellraiser.
1: The original Hellraiser is great. Actually, Hellraiser 2 is also pretty good. After that, Hellraiser 3, they introduce a lot of, like, funny centipede, like, you know, a, a lot of horror franchises, like there's Gremlins that movie. Too. There's that movie where they, it takes like the turn and right. it becomes almost like a send up of the previous entries. Uh, and that's Hellraiser 3 when there's like right. a new Cenobite who's like a VHS cassette player for a head or whatever, gotcha. like, that's kind of where it gets goofier, but, um, the first one, definitely watch.
0: I'm going to put it worse. on my watch list, uh, maybe both of them, for spooky season, we are in spooky season. We're in peak spooky
1: season. That's, that's it for the news. Looking forward to female pinhead in the new Hellraiser.
0: We're done with the news. Good stuff, uh, coming up, we're going to talk about some of the saints of Newark. There are many of them. A few.
1: Bitch
0: Many Saints of Newark. Is it the Many Saints of Newark or Many Saints of Newark?
1: It's the Many Saints of Newark. Yes. And did we talk about this last time that it's a it's a it's a pun? It's like a wordplay thing.
0: Yes, you brought that up. That yeah. Montesante. Very clever. Is Many Moltisante. saints. Moltisante. Yeah, I dig I, I that. Thank you for uh, you did let me know that and let our listeners know that uh, yeah. the Many Saints of Newark is in theaters and on HBO Max, where I watched it, and. Yeah, it is a prequel to one of the great shows of all time, uh, Sopranos. It's def—I put, I put Sopranos on the Mount Rushmore of. Of HBO shows, and uh, uh, and maybe of just shows.
1: I mean, it's one of my favorite shows.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. I, you know, I'm. I, I'd put it right there with The Wire and Breaking Bad, and uh, you know, that's not necessarily the conversation we endeavored to have here. And, but and, and uh,
1: Titus, you know, Titus, you know, Titus,
0: yes, Christopher Titus is uh, semi autobiographical <laughs> you know, journey.
1: You know, all, all of Hal's, <laughs> favorites.
0: Uh, so huge Titus fan. Yeah.
1: And Last Man Standing, La- oh, love that Tim oh, Allen. Yes,
0: late late career Tim Allen is late my career. career Tim Allen is the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's telling it like it is. Uh, you know who's telling it like it is? Uh, the the Multisante family. They are
1: oh nice. What a transition. They're, yeah. not,
0: they're not. No, telling not really. It like it is. So a uh, bunch uh, of lying frauds. So. It's narrated by Christopher uh, Michael Imperioli, and this is uh, takes us back to his family in the nineteen sixties, and you have familiar characters from The Sopranos. But you know, uh, let's just get into it. I, I felt like it was missing so much of the magic of The Sopranos, and it to me it felt like um, a mediocre mob film.
1: I disagree. I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely get how the one critique that people are making that I think is right on is that it, it is trying to do a lot. It is yeah. it is all over the place. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of plot. There are a lot of different threads. And I think some of them do get a little bit of the short shrift. Like this may have been conceived as more of a four-part six-part series and then condensed, mm-hmm. and it does kind of feel that way. Like, there are there are some plot lines that feel abrupt. Um, but having said that, I thought what was there, I thought was really interesting and does do a good job of interacting with the main story and is very Sopranos-y. Like, I feel like part of the Sopranos was that we we tend to imagine the mob in this very, like, Romanticized, like even like the first half of Goodfellas, like that it's funny and that these guys are like big personalities and there was a glamor and an excitement to like the mob at its peak. Mm -hmm. And I think that that thread ran through Sopranos, where not to them, they were depressed and miserable, but even they had this nostalgia for the prior generation. And I think that what a lot of this movie is doing is going back to that prior generation and being like, they were all, it was never fun. They were all just as miserable and they were all convinced that it was easier and better for the guys that came before them. And I think that you're a little let down when you see like it's naturally disappointing because it it, it is mediocre in terms of the mob stuff. It's not exciting in the way that a mob movie usually would be, but it's Uh because it's, you know, I think it's sort of about how it was always pathetic and it was always a little sad. And these were always guys who felt like, they weren't living up to who they could be, or they they. And, and I think that giving in in the original Sopranos, Tony does this. He romanticizes the past. It's Gary Cooper and the strong silent type, and mm-hmm. his dad Johnny Boy, and Dicky Moltisanti, and and those guys. We even hear Christopher do it in the voiceover, where he's like wishing that he had been born before the Rico Act, and oh, the the the, the peak times when the mob really was 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 doing something or whatever. And uh, I think it's so powerful to go back and see Dicky Multisanti going through the same things that Tony was—that feeling like I'm a piece of shit, like I think I, I want to be this good guy who takes care of people and helps people out and is like a beacon to my community, but I know deep down I'm a I'm a shitty person who does these bad awful things. And and he was having Tony's exact same crisis. And I don't know. I I really like I I I felt that, and I felt like they did a really good job of like highlighting the the generational. Connections there.
0: You know, I don't think it's altogether bad. Uh, Like when I say mediocre, I think there there are definitely some uh, highlights. I really enjoyed Ray Liotta throughout this movie, and um and but there, I think you touched on something in saying it was potentially a four part or six part series, maybe how it was conceived, and you know now it's this film, and there are threads that feel like they were given a little bit of short shrift like I I enjoyed Leslie Odom's Leslie Odom Jr.'s character and and the storyline there and bringing in the idea of Frank Lucas the character played by Denzel Washington an American Gangster and that whole battle in Newark for like territory battle between uh, uh, black gangs and the black mafia and the Italian mob and it was like we just sniffed that like it was like they introduced it, and then it was just that storyline kind of died on the vine. I felt like there were so it many things die. All, it's, a,
1: it's a part of the it, it's the the story is it's trying to cover so much. Yeah, but, and you then know, I, I felt
0: like you know you mentioned yeah there absolutely were threads that you followed in the show. I just felt like many of the actors were not given enough, and Dicky, I don't know, I I did not find him. As charismatic a central character uh, to drive the story, I don't agree with that. I mm-hmm. mean, my,
1: my only my only real issue in terms of performances, uh, Billy Magnuson and John Magaro are playing Paulie Walnuts and Silvio Dante, two of the best loved Sopranos characters as young mm-hmm. guys, mm-hmm. and they are doing like impressions. Like they're they're yeah. very clearly like trying to look and sound like the guys who play those characters. In The Sopranos, and especially Silvio, Steven Van Zandt is making a lot of choices as Silvio, and he's pulling them off, but this guy trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. in this movie, it, it almost plays like SNL, and I thought yeah. it really highlights how good a job everyone else is doing. Like, Corey Stoll as Junior... I liked and Corey Vera Stoll. Vera Farmiga as Livia are fucking mm. amazing in this. Like, they are completely embodying the character as you recall them. They look like, they look right, they sound right, they're doing, they've got the mannerisms, but they are also giving real performances. Corey Stoll might be my favorite thing in this whole movie. He's amazing. Yeah,
0: Corey Stoll is very good.
1: And and it's really like, it's incredible to see. And it it really drives home the, um, you know, I'm always kind of irritated by the, de-aging or aging up actors using visual yes. effects, you know, like let's make them look older or younger uh-huh. um, because you could, you could do so much with just bringing in another good actor and being yeah. like, okay, you're young junior soprano, like watch Dominic Cheney's play him in the main show. And now you do your version of that guy as a young man. And like a good actor can bring that to life in a way that, that animation will just never look as good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I enjoyed Michael Gandolfini as Tony. I really liked that,
1: too. And and I felt like, uh, you know, that was another thing I read. I read a review that was like, I don't buy his transformation. And it's like, well, but he's he's so much younger. Like, I don't think you need to buy this guy's total transformation into Tony Soprano. Like, yeah. that obviously happened over a number of years. I think it's just like this pivotal moment in his life and how the way things played out affected how he would grow up feeling. Like, I think that's the, the transition. You don't have to buy by the end of this movie, like, all right, he's the mob boss. Like, that's not the story
0: of this. Yeah, it kind of left off. And I wonder if it was, is it setting itself up for another one?
1: That I mean, I if to me it feels very much like a lead-in to a new season. Like you're laying all of this groundwork of yeah. Newark in this era. And even there's a post-credit scene with Leslie Odom Jr.'s character that mm-hmm. seems very specifically to be like, okay, here's the conflict for Newark Central Ward, all based on real history, by mm-hmm. the way. And it does, it seems very fertile for, for like more storytelling. But to me that's yeah. like but that that's a sign that this is a good this was good, but the, we, the, you're, you're like, oh, it's very promising. I could see eight more stories set here. Like, yeah, I, I feel the same way.
0: There are good things, but then again, I, I feel like, yeah, it was. Much of it was just. Unfulfilling, I, a very mixed bag for oh, me. And
1: here, a, another fascinating question is: we were we were talking about Jew face. Now we'll talk about Italian face. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Is it okay for Joey Coco Diaz to play Big Pussy's father? He's play. He's he is a Cuban playing an Italian in this film.
0: You know, it didn't bug me. And there's absolutely a physical resemblance.
1: If he's allowed to play Buddha Bump in Sierra, I think we have to we we but, have to drop all the distinctions.
0: But you mentioned Billy Magnus. Billy Magnuson. Billy Magnuson is a Nordic.
1: Nordic, yeah, he's young Polly Walnut. And they put they put a, a bunch of big prosthetic noses on people. Vera Farmiga has one too. Vera
0: Farmiga's was good.
1: But that one I thought worked and, and she's got to look like Livia was such a main character. Yeah. I didn't think Billy Magnuson needed the Polly Walnut's nose. I felt like I would have bought it if he was just doing the voice. Like yeah. him and Silvio both, it felt way over the top trying to
0: like, ah, these two cut ups. And it's like, I don't need that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't buy Billy Magnuson as an Italian. It's also
1: weird. And I know, obviously, David Chase knows the ages of all of these characters. But it was, I will say, I didn't think of... I didn't think of Silvio as being that much older than Tony. That Silvio would have already been, like, a grown man. Yeah. Like, part of the crew and, like, a fully grown adult when Tony's, like, a teenager. Like, that mm-hmm. that was odd. I, uh, I don't feel like they play them that way in the show. Yeah. Th- that Silvio's not playing him like an uncle figure to Tony.
0: Yeah, just a few, maybe a few years older.
1: Right. I feel, I, I imagine them as peers. Mm-hmm. But this movie definitely has... Pussy and, and Silvio and Polly were like the prior generation when Tony was still like coming up. Like, they're Dickie's peers.
0: Yeah, and the show does not quite, uh, yeah, set the relationship. But, I mean, that could like be that.
1: also part of it. Like, well, but Dickie died. Johnny Boy died. So, like, mm-hmm. that generation did kind of, like, they ended up looking to Tony as their leader. And it did change the dynamic. So, I mean, like, there was just so much stuff like that going on in the movie. I just thought it was really interesting. And as a big Sopranos fan, I was really enjoying making all those connections.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, Many Saints of Newark is... Available to watch right now on HBO Max. Uh, There was another little HBO Max ditty that we watched The Way Down. The Way Down. Well, we watched the first three. There's going to be two more. Yes.
1: To explain, this was an expose about a cult leader who died while they were making it. Mm -hmm. Like, they did not, they obviously made these episodes before they knew the person they were about died because all the interviews are like, In an ongoing way, like fuck this lady, she's a bitch, and then it's like, well, she's—you wouldn't talk that way about her knowing that she was dead.
0: Yeah, then it's like, oh, too soon. Yeah. uh,
1: So we got the first three that cover her life and the the group, you know, the Remnant Fellowship Church that she created.
0: Not to be confused with the guilty Remnant.
1: No, they're they're from the leftovers. Different, different Remnant. Yeah. Uh, And then next year we will get two follow up episodes that are about the aftermath of the plane crash that killed her and her husband.
0: Yeah, which took place I guess in May of
1: yeah, earlier this year. This year. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. they're we're we're in real time. Like they didn't they put out the the first half of what they had because this other thing happened.
0: Right. And the the woman who was sort of the matriarch of this church, Gwen Shamblin Lara, Gwen Shamblin Lara, she became a bit of a national phenomenon in the late 90s due to her uh, combining of Christian ethics and uh, proselytizing and weight loss. And she drove this thing, like, I guess, slimness is next to godliness, yeah. or whatever you, know, you want it, it to sounds,
1: say. It sounds ridiculous, but um around this same era, in like the early aughts, I, uh, after I graduated college, I got a job at a bookstore. I worked at a Barnes and Noble for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And this was not just in terms of weight loss. This was a real trend through all the self-improvement categories, was like, Let's approach this everyday problem, but from the Christian perspective. So to us non-Christians, it sounds weird. Like, what does losing weight have to do with religion? But if you are a Christian, all of your thinking kind of flows from that. You know, God, Jesus, they're very important concepts to you. They're at the root of a lot of your thinking. So this would be like how to keep organized and also... Respect God very much or like how to raise your kids in a way that is godly and like it would you know like you think of the thing that you're take buying a book to improve how to improve your marriage from a Christian perspective Whatever there are there were always religious guides so it wasn't it wasn't that crazy as it sounds to to get laid
0: the godly way
1: right. Like us Jews were like, ah, but like yeah. it, it's not as weird for people from that
0: community. That uh, makes some sense, but then
1: honestly, her whole bag—it kind of I get it. Like, I like her her teaching basically. So you're a disciple.
0: No, I I, I, I I don't think this would work for
1: me. But her teaching was basically like, don't diet, don't have a special diet, eat whatever the fuck you want, but you're only allowed to eat when you're very hungry. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel extreme hunger, like I'm gonna pass out if I don't eat something. You're not supposed to eat and you're just supposed to focus that feeling or that moment. You're just supposed to focus on God. So if I'm like, oh, you know, what would be good right now is a piece of cake. But I'm not like my stomach's not grumbling. I'm not starving. I can't eat cake. I just have to pray until the feeling of wanting cake goes away.
0: So this whole program gave her a degree of celebrity and, and then a degree of power and it's kind of the classic story like you, that you see with uh, you know Joel Osteen or Jim and Tammy Faye Baker or just like getting rich off of the flock and she really feathered her nest, and then created this cult-like atmosphere where she is the leader.
1: Yeah, it went from this weight loss specific thing the, the way the way down, mm-hmm. and then it, she she literally used the money and clout and celebrity to start a actual church, the Remnant Fellowship Church, and then that's what became the real. Like a lot of people probably did the weight loss program and didn't even know about the church and were never in the cult. Right. They were just like trying to lose a few LBs. It was the remnant fellowship church that became the very controlling, you can't get out, uh, you know, like violent, crazy, abusive, whatever.
0: Yeah. What are they called in Scientology? The problematic people, the uh,
1: suppressive persons, SPs, SPs. Yes, the
0: SPs, very much like that. And then. Uh, well, that's every
1: good. Yeah, every cult's got it. It's like you can't talk to the outsiders. It's we only inside the community. And this, this really explores that a lot. How, how dedicated they were to that idea of like only other people in the community and anybody on the outside is negative and you can't interact with them. And that's how they, you know, separate you. So you become totally dependent on them and the group, you know.
0: Yeah, and the, this uh, this docu series, uh, like Lon said, the first three episodes are up. It's it's filled with just really compelling, weird characters. I mean, this woman is uh, you know obviously if you've seen any of the the trailers or the uh, advertisements, her hair is insane. <laughs> um, really, boss level Karen, uh, and uh, like a maybe a distant. Uh, relative somewhere down the line of uh, the Lulurich woman, who's also a boss level Karen. If uh, anyone has seen the the Lulurich yeah. doc,
1: I, I, I was thinking about this too. I thought specific about the the Lulurich lady, and I was also thinking a little bit about uh, Wild Wild Country, of course, while I watched this, which is my, still my favorite of the recent spate of
0: yes, yeah, so good cult
1: exposes or mm-hmm. whatever. But I do – I think there's something really interesting about – it's a little Trumpy. It's the idea that part of the what worked about this system right. was the leader kind of looks ridiculous
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you have to pretend that they don't. And that it's one of the tests of like loyalty. Like part of the way that you test that somebody is in the interior group is – they don't think that Gwen's hair looks crazy and, and joke about it, that they just accept it, that that's what she looks like. And I think there is a there's like a Trumpy thing like that, like Absolutely. how all the yeah. Trump fans are like, he looks he's so vibrant. He looks so virile, you know, like they oh, pretend yeah, and like see these th-
0: drawings of him as this conquering hero.
1: And they like part of the test of loyalty or the oath for membership is you can't. Notice that he's like a crazed old man yeah who's the emperor has no clothes. In, yeah orange and looks like a lunatic like and that Gwen Chamberlain Lara has that same look like she looks crazy and you have to pretend like you can't tell that she looks
0: crazy that makes sense and then the guy that she took into her life as her lover he's his story is bananas
1: I loved all that I don't remember his land Joe, Lara. Joe yeah.
0: Lara that's his yeah name. yeah uh, Joe Lara is just a handsome son of a gun. Uh, who was uh, a Hollywood actor for a hot minute, a country singer, and then <laughs> yeah. um, and didn't have like one like speck of the Lord in his life, and then no. he found this woman, and just like th- like as you see his story, and this guy who's kind of like uh, a conniver and a, uh, a huckster sort if
1: of. If Joe Exotic looked like Mitt Romney, that's who this guy is. <laughs> All the personality does- of a Joe Exotic but
0: with the, like, the he can sell it. jaw of a, like, that Romney jaw.
1: Like, if he showers and puts on a suit and holds a Bible and looks thoughtful, like, you almost buy it. He mm-hmm. really has that look where you'd almost believe this is a religious guy, but yeah, he can't
0: really pull it off. <laughs> and it's all about this image and this artifice. And then, yeah. uh, and I think there's, more to come that, and obviously in the uh, two episodes that are going to be released in 2022, I believe.
1: Next year, yes. We'll get that. They're working on them right now. We're going to get them next year. Who knows what they'll dig up now that these two are dead.
0: Uh, but just like the in- insidious cult mindset, and there's like all these weird allegations of like... Church encouraged child abuse and, uh, yeah, just an ugly place to be. It's like you pull, um, you, you pull, you lift up the rock, and then there's just a bunch of festering, um, filth <laughs> under there. So yeah. it, it, if you're into culty stuff and, uh, people misusing faith and, uh, r- religion to manipulate people, the way down on HBO Max.
1: On this one, we completely agree. I, uh, if you are like me, a person who just enjoys a good a good cult show, wants to hear, oh, yeah, tell me about tell me about these crazies. What do these What do these guys believe? I'm in, and, and, and this this totally scratched that itch for me. Yeah,
0: and and the uh, just the the filled with bizarre characters, and it's a fun little world to explore. The way down yeah. on HBO Max. Last thing we watched, uh, Anton Fuqua directed Jake Gyllenhaal stars in The Guilty... On Netflix. It's a remake of a Danish
1: film. Have you seen the original?
0: I have not seen the original.
1: I've seen the original, so I'm gonna we, we could I could review both takes on The Guilt. Oh yeah,
0: well yeah, don't uh, don't bury. Also, the lead. did How you recognize
1: s- the voices? What are they? So this the whole movie well, is. Well,
0: afterwards, I was I watched the credits and yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, that yeah. it's it's got a, some great voice voices. It's a talent.
1: who's who of a voice acting. Both films, the Danish original and then this one, it's all one setting. It's it's Jake Gyllenhaal in this in this one he. Plays plays a 911 dispatcher yeah 911 uh, he is he yeah 911 he is fielding he is fielding calls and there is a situation that's going on involving a woman who apparently has been abducted Her children are home alone and he's got to both try to figure out where she is and what's going on, but just untangle this whole situation. But the whole movie is just him on the phone and we're just hearing the people that he's interacting with as he pieces this whole situation together. They do a fun thing in this one where obviously the Danish version, it's all Danish actors. In this one, all the people on the other side of the phone, Uh Ethan Hawke is one of them. Paul Uh Dano is in there. Divine Joy Randolph sneaks in. Riley Keogh is is there. Peter Everybody on the phone is somebody notable. Ethan Hawke I recognized right away. Oh, and Eli Gorey, who we just saw. He was Muhammad Ali in One Night oh, in Miami. Yes. He plays uh, Hall's old partner. Hall's a, a cop, a beat cop who's now working the phones, and his, his former partner is Eli Gorey. It's well done. Hall's good. Fuqua does a really nice job of keeping like the momentum going, even though you're all in one location. But I will say, getting through the whole movie – it doesn't bring anything new to the table. If you've seen the Danish one, you get it. You know what's coming. Gotcha. I did not feel like this one paid off the fact that they had another crack at it. It's basically just the same one again, but now it's in English with Americans in it.
0: And, uh that much more accessible. I feel like this film doesn't have uh, a right to be as compelling and as good as it is. And I think that's a credit to Jake Gyllenhaal, who he's such a a watchable actor and uh, the direction of Anton Fuqua, as Lon was saying.
1: I believe it's Antoine Fuqua.
0: Oh, Antoine Fuqua. Apologies, apologies. And there are more twists and turns than you might expect on this call because at first it seems very straightforward, and then it's like, oh, okay, oh, and like new information.
1: Yeah, there's a couple big, it's a a well-plotted, you know, mystery. It's just an interesting way into the mystery. Normally you'd be seeing all the characters and watching it play out, but you're you're just in this one guy's perspective.
0: Yeah, and this character, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays... A guy who uh, he wants to do right, but he uh, is a deeply flawed character. This film absolutely made me think of two prior Jake Gyllenhaal performances the very underrated End of Watch. And also kind of underrated, because I felt like this film should have been nominated for an Oscar, uh, Nightcrawler. And mm. like the kind of the seaminess of Nightcrawler is there in much of this. And then obviously the direct police ties to End of Watch. So um, kind of felt like a kind of a collision of Hall characters in this one character for me. Mm. And it teases you. It's like. It disseminates information just enough so you, by the end, you're able to kind of put this picture together of what he did because the cop that he's playing is busted down and assigned to this phone duty because of what seems well, like yeah don't yeah, don't don't give um, that part yeah it. That's, well
1: that's that's part of the twist
0: yeah but it, it seems like there uh, he did something he broke protocol and he's
1: suspended from normal duty and that's why he's on the phones and and it's one of those things that they cleverly weave it into the movie how you figure out both the crime that's going on and jake gyllenhaal's personal backstory yeah an interesting other cop movie twist it's part of the the resolution of that is is ethan Hawke's character who's his old sergeant who was on the phone at some point ethan Hawke, antoine fuqua collaborated on one of the most iconic uh of modern cop movies training day. training day
0: yeah and Jake Gyllenhaal and Antoine Foucault have worked together on uh, Southpaw, mm-hmm. so it, it's just a big family affair. It's just a big love fest. Uh, everyone got together, but the, uh, the Guilty. It's it's a tight film as well. It it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's like ninety some. It's odd a lean minutes.
1: ninety-five, I think. Yeah.
0: Listen, if you come in under a hundred, that's that, that's already a win in my book. <laughs> uh, and uh, like Jake Gyllenhaal, he's a very good film actor for him to be just driving this movie and it's just him uh you know what maybe we should uh like you know do like a back to back watch between that and what's the one where tom hardy's just driving for the Lock. entire Lock.
1: L O C K E.
0: Yes, I've never seen Lock. Is Lock any good?
1: Oh, Lock is fantastic. I I like Lock does the same thing yeah. where it's all Tom Hardy and he's in his car on the mm-hmm. phone and the whole movie is we follow the story based on his phone conversations. That one I think is even next level beyond this. I think that's the best Single location, one guy acting with a phone movie I've ever seen. And it's also amazing because he's doing a—Tom Hardy's doing a voice. The whole movie's just him in a car, and he's still doing a voice the whole time. look at that.
0: Look at Tom Tom Hardy act. Look at you go, Tom Hardy. Uh, So I'm adding that right next to Hellraiser in my uh, uh, movies to watch list.
1: Watch them back to back. It's a it's a it's a double feature.
0: Watch oh, it's gonna be a a Hellraiser and Lock double feature. Uh, the Guilty is on Netflix. Yeah, it's it's a lean ninety some odd minutes and uh, a really strong performance by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and just a taut, uh, enjoyable flick. And what's the name of the uh, Danish version? Uh, Den Skildage. I like it. I like it. Den Skilditch. Den Skilditch. I got that desk from Ikea. Hey, now. Uh, Hey! The Guilty on Netflix. And that takes us to the end of the stuff we planned on talking about. Right, long. You might even say it's the end of the show. There you go. Uh, Hoot hoot. Hashtag Owl Nation. If uh, anyone is a go hooligan out there, uh, hoot hoot to you. Starburns Audio. Thank you for having us. Travis Reeves. Thank you for producing us, good sir. Jason K. Thank you for the rock and roll licks that led us into the show. Lon, uh, anything you want to tell the folks?
1: Oh, just find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S is the best place to do it. And uh, check out my other podcast. It's called Garmin Showzia. That's me and Drew Grant talking about whatever's going on that week. Uh, G-A-R-M-O-N-S-H-O-W-Z-I-A to find that. Uh, it's on the Content Candy Network wherever you listen to your
0: podcasts. Thanks, Lon. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram, and if you are on Twitch, go ahead and give me a follow, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick, where we're doing comedy shows, movie watch parties, and uh, just, uh, just gabbing. Just come in and join the chat. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys! Bitch boys! Bitch boys! Bitch boys!
1: Got oh shit!